All right. Attempt number two. This is hopefully the actual one. But yeah. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. I'm Marva Shi, your host for the month of April. Today, I'm so excited to have my friend and former boss, Sakshi Venkatraman, on the show. Sakshi is currently a senior studying politics, journalism, and Spanish at NYU and is an intern with NBC News. She's honed her focus as a beat reporter for South Asian Americans, writing about the distinct experiences of a group that has been so underrepresented in media for so long. Having worked with her on our school newspaper, I know firsthand how passionate and talented Sakshi is, and I'm so happy to have her here today. Thanks for coming, Sakshi. How's it going? Yeah, I'm so excited to to be on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to see you and to hear your voice again. We haven't seen each other in so long because of like COVID and everything, but mm-hmm. I kind of miss. <laughs> I think the last time we talked was like when we worked together on influentials in like, yeah. fall 2019. And, and you took pictures for the story that I was working on, and it was so wonderful to be able to work with you. Yeah. Uh, this is so hype. <laughs> I know, I'm uh, so happy. <laughs> how did your family come to the U.S.? Uh, like, when and why? Mm-hmm. So, my dad came here first in the 80s, I think. And then my mom, you know, came here on a fiancé visa after they were engaged. And, um, yeah, and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty different, I think, than, like some other stories that I've heard because my parents actually divorced when I was pretty young when I was five and um so basically my my experience with like growing up with an immigrant parent um has been very different because it was mostly just with one parent which was my mom who you know when I was a kid I like watched her do everything to support us and work several jobs at a time and be so exhausted and 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 that was her story and like and she she just like really made me the person that I am today. So I guess that in some ways answers your question and in some ways not. But um, no, but it yeah. definitely answers the question. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's really I, I think it's pretty inspiring. Like I've read your like Instagram posts and stuff about your mom. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. She, she's an amazing person. Like I, I honestly I, I aspire to be like her, even though I know that, you know, I like we'll never be as strong as she is and like go through as much as she's gone through but she definitely is like my best friend and inspires me in in a lot of ways yeah you grew up in texas right what was Mm -hmm. that childhood growing (laughs) up experience like (laughs) it was weird honestly like texas is a strange place um it's it's interesting so when my family first moved to the town that i grew up in um, which is a suburb of Dallas. It was like very unique to have to be like a brown person in that town. And like subsequently over the next few years that we lived there, I think I, I was born in Connecticut and then we lived in California and then we moved to Texas in like 2003 Whoa. or 2004. So I did most of my growing up in Texas. But mm-hmm. when we first moved there, we were one of the first like families of color, I guess, to even like live in that town. And I remember being little and going to school, going to kindergarten and like elementary school and just feeling so different and so out of place and just like not wanting to be Indian. And I feel like a lot of immigrant kids, a lot of, you know, kids of color, I guess, have have a similar experience to where they they grow up feeling the need to push away their cultural and, and 
you know, familial identity because they want to conform and they want to be like everyone else. And that was definitely my experience. I've definitely met like a lot of people. I think it's pretty common, like in our generation, Mm -hmm. like the story of like, oh, like I wanted to have like greater proximity to whiteness, like because I just felt so like isolated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The the thing about like, like wanting to have proximity to whiteness is something that's so interesting and complex to me and something that I've tried to explore a lot through my writing and I think obviously like I've only scratched the surface when it even comes to analyzing myself and how these things impacted me but I definitely remember being a kid and and wanting to be white wanting to change my name wanting to like I remember one of my earliest memories actually was in in like I was I probably wasn't even in kindergarten I think I was like four and I was in gymnastics class and um I like back before you know we like my parents were divorced and we were in like a tough financial situation like back when we were able to afford going to extracurricular classes and that kind of thing I was in gymnastics and I remember I I wanted my teacher to like me so bad and I told him that my name I forget what name that I gave him but it wasn't my name like I told him my in, my in, my Indian name is Sakshi but I go by like something I forget what it was that I told him um and he was like okay and then he started referring to me by this fake white name that I gave him oh and God. and I was so happy I was like I felt like I fit in with everyone and then I like told my mom about it later and she was so mad she was like the next time we come here you're gonna go straight to your teacher and you're gonna tell him that that's not your real name and it was so embarrassing I remember, <laughs> I remember having to be like yeah I actually don't have an American name I just like lied I'm sorry and I was so embarrassed but yeah I guess like ever since I was young that was that was my experience like wanting to not be myself not wanting like wanting to distance myself from who I was you know do you feel like those like experiences kind of influenced where you wanted to go like in your career or like where you are now um definitely I mean it's interesting because I write a lot about South Asians now and a lot of my writing is informed by my not not my not necessarily my own experiences because I like to highlight other people's experiences but it's it's inspired by the things that I've thought a lot about or the things that I've been through and like things that I want to hear other people's perspectives on um but growing up that wasn't the first thing that inspired me to write um so like the the reason that I started writing in the first place was when my family was going through trauma basically or when I was going through trauma and, and there were situations in my life like abuse and things like that perpetrated by by people or by a person very close in my family I I didn't really even know how to verbalize that when I was like 5 you know or when I was really little and I didn't know how to verbalize it or process it. And, and my mom was always just like, write everything down, like write down how you're feeling and like get it out. Because I think that when she was going through traumatic situations and in her 20s and 30s, she really got a lot of catharsis, I guess, by keeping a diary and writing stuff down. So when I was 10, middle school, or like, I guess that's still elementary school, but going into middle school, which is obviously like a terrible time for anyone who's yeah. normal. Um, 
she gave me my first journal and she was just like, write down everything that you're feeling. And so I, and at first I sort of resisted it, but I started keeping a diary and I started writing down like everything that I was feeling and everything that was happening to me. And to be honest, like I didn't even write that much about like the trauma that was going on in my life because I just kind of wanted to feel normal in my writing. And so I, so I wrote about like boys and, you know, like One Direction or whatever I was into back then. Like, I think one of my favorite things that I have, like one of my favorite possessions, like I've kept a diary ever since I was 11. So I have mm-hmm. like a, a diary that's filled with like middle school stuff. And I have a diary like throughout high school on all the stuff that I was going through then. And then I have a diary that's actually filled cover to cover with the first two years of college. And then now I have a, a diary that I had going since the beginning of junior year. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it, it's the way that I fell in love with writing, just like writing about my feelings and just about the most random stuff. And then I started doing creative writing, I guess, like as an escapism. Um, like I'd like to create my own worlds and like, like get lost in them, I guess, especially when everything else was terrible. And so yeah, that, that's how I got into writing. I didn't even really get into journalism until high school. And I had the opportunity to be on my, my high school newspaper, which was such an amazing program. My, my teacher was so wonderful and he inspired me to, um, to start actually telling other people's stories, which I found that I liked way better, you know, than, than making things yeah. up. Um, and you talked a lot about your high school newspaper before, like when we talked and like winning a pacemaker and stuff. oh my gosh that is a formative experience <laughs> in my life like everybody so not everybody because this that sounds very narcissistic but like I've been asked the question in like casual settings I guess of like what do you think is your biggest accomplishment to date and I feel like still I always come back to winning a pacemaker award in high school so that award is basically just like given to high school newspapers that are like really good or like stand out or whatever. And there are different categories, but um, it's so hard to win. Like only a handful of, um, like of high papers. school uh, yeah. high school papers or websites like win every year. And I remember my junior year, we went to the award ceremony and we lost and it was so sad. And mm-hmm. I remember just being like, so like crushed, but also I was like, I just want to win. I, I am so determined to win. So then after my junior year, like coming back to my, to the newspaper senior year, it was me and like a few other editors. We worked so hard and like redesigned everything, like edited every article to perfection. And like, that's where I learned how to edit and to write really well. Cause I was like, I just want everything to sound the best that it can be. Um, and then we won that year, my senior year. And it was insane. Yeah. Like, I just remember crying, like hugging everyone my my newspaper advisor Mr. Wofford was like crying it was oh my gosh it was wonderful that was like it was that was like a that was a high point for sure was that when you knew you wanted to do journalism I think so yeah definitely in high school is when it started to take shape that that this is what I want to do and I'm trying to think like if if I have any experience that was like that made me want to do journalism I think, honestly, like from from the first time that I wrote an article about a person who was like going through something or, you know, I don't know, like the first time I got to tell a story about someone, um, 
it just it made me so happy to to be able to to give voice to to somebody that was not myself I guess I think I think I like journalism and like photojournalism for like some of the same reasons yeah yeah photojournalism is so cool and like I am definitely not as good at at that as you are but but that is such a unique way to tell stories as well and I mean you do a great job with that so how how was like coming to NYU and like moving to New York getting to know like big city life how's that for you it's oh my gosh it was insane like there is so much (laughs) to unpack about coming to New York um coming from like Texas it, it was just it obviously was like the 180 degree like turn, you know, mm-hmm. different lifestyle, different pace of life, different, you know, different things were important to people here, I guess. Yeah. Um, It was very isolating when I first moved here. I didn't really like have any friends. I like, you know, most of my friends went to UT, which is an amazing school. And yeah. like, I, I very like, I was very close to going to UT. Um, but I guess, and like, they all had each other to lean on. And I was so jealous of that. And for a little while, like the first couple of months that I was here, and I was a freshman at NYU, I was like, God damn it, like, I made the wrong choice. <laughs> like, I have no friends. I'm so wait, am I allowed to say bad words? I'm sorry. Um, Maybe lightly. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I was like, I have no friends. Like, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I, I felt so isolated. And I think that that can be a common first year experience at NYU. Um, and then after a couple months, I like started finding my people and, you know, made some good friends through newspaper, especially. Um, and just like found a community and then everything became better. And like, obviously, not saying there weren't ups and downs, like there were definitely semesters that were horrible. that like stand out in my mind as being like terrible mental health times or just like bad in general. Um, but there have also been semesters that have been like the highlights of my entire life. So it's, it's been, I don't regret it. I definitely don't regret it at all. And like, I'm so happy that I made this choice, but it definitely came with some ups and downs. I remember reading your piece in Washington Square News. Like when I first started working there, you talking about like your unpaid internship journey. Uh, yeah. And I mm-hmm. thought that was like so like I kind of I really resonated with that yeah you know unpaid internships are horrible and they're just an incredibly toxic terrible system that feed into like the journalism industry being exclusive to lower income people and people of color um terrible terrible system but for me I I did them because I felt like I had no other choice and like the the summers that I did unpaid internships I could only do them because I was living at home. You know, my mom, as always, working multiple jobs and, like, supporting me. And, like, I, myself, like, I, the summer that I, the summers that I did unpaid internships, I couldn't afford to work more than a certain number of hours because, like, after my internship, I would go home, I would change, and then I would go, like, babysit until, like, eight or nine in the evening um, or work at, like, the daycare that my mom works at um or tutor you know like I had probably four jobs the summers that I did on paid internships because I just like couldn't afford to do it you know like I couldn't afford like yeah and it was awful it definitely took a huge 
huge toll on me physically even to like do that much work but I was like it had been drilled into my head that the most important thing in journalism is to get your name out there and I don't like that's true honestly like it is true that's the way that the system is built and it it, it's it's gatekeeping it keeps it keeps a lot of people out and if if you know if I wasn't like lucky enough to have a parent who financially supported me or if I wasn't lucky enough to be able to live at home or to have a car or whatever like I couldn't have done it and who knows like if if I would even be doing journalism right now like I have so many friends that are insanely talented writers insanely talented journalists who just can't afford to be in this career anymore because it's so it's so exclusive in some ways um, and now with like multimedia journalism, I'm sorry if I'm just like going off right now. But, no, like, please go off. <laughs> like now with multimedia journalism, it's even worse because every journalist is expected to know like the Adobe Creative Cloud, which costs oh, like so true, <laughs> which costs like fifty dollars a month to have that on your computer, and is just like it. It requires like a whole nother set of skills to 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 work with. And yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty awful. Like, I think that I think a lot of editors have their hearts in the right places, but corporations don't, you know, and like, (laughs) and that's just, that's just what it is, I guess. Like the the bottom line is sometimes seen as more important, I think, but, um, but yeah, unpaid internships are terrible. I would, I would never do one ever again. Like I would never encourage anyone to do one. Um, you have to get paid for your work, you know? And, like, I definitely learned that the hard way by, like, ruining my mental and physical health to, like, get a few clips. But, but yeah, bad system. Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, too, because I think, I mean, I work, I want, I work in media, and, like, Mm -hmm. I would like a job in the media industry, but I feel like I see so many similarities because, I've also, I think at this point, I've done, like, three unpaid internships. Yeah. And and plus, like, school extracurriculars, which are always, like, for mm-hmm. free. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, I kind of wanted to, like, dive deeper into that. Because, like, I also, I, like, I, I really understand, like, what you said. Like, yeah. when people ask for, like, a, like, social media intern, they're, like, oh, like, we want you to post stuff on our Instagram, but you also need to know how to do, like, video editing. You also need to know how to do oh graphic design. You also need to know how to, like, code our website, so... Literally, they're like, okay, so we're not going to pay you, but can you run this whole company for us? Like, please? And you're like, yeah. sure, because that's what I need to ultimately be successful, and it's terrible, yeah. How do you think you started to, like, break out of that? Or, like, what was the journey process like? That's interesting. Honestly, like, I don't know, because I I did an unpaid internship one summer, and then I did WSN, which like student journalism in general is horribly underfunded. And that's not that's not the fault of the students, obviously. Um, Do you want to so, introduce it a little bit more? WSN? Yeah. Oh, sure. You, you did work on it for like two or three years, right? Literally, yeah, three, two and a half years, I think. So I started fall 2017, which is when I was a freshman. And then I ended in December 2019. That was the end of my tenure. I was editor in chief for the 2019 year. 
Um, and then I was still doing a little bit in the beginning of 2020, organizing like an event and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, with with freaking Tanahisi codes. Dude, <laughs> that, was that was so cool. Like one of again, one of the highlights. <laughs> like he's amazing. And like yeah. he's been nice enough to like email me and like say nice things about my articles and stuff. And I just like I I am a fangirl for Tanahisi codes, like absolutely. I don't want him to ever know that because I, I feel like he would hate that, but like I definitely like really admire him so much. But um but anyway, so WSN, where do we even begin? W- yeah. WSN is great. It's like, that's where I found my community at NYU, for sure. Like, I didn't have friends until I joined WSN. And then, like, wait, my wait, co- wait, wait, hold on. Just for context, for everyone who's listening, if you're not an NYU student, which I'm sure very few people who are listening are, uh, WSN or Washington Square News is our school newspaper for NYU. Um, it's run entirely by students. Sasha was the editor-in-chief for one year and she worked crazy hours like every single week I'd see them working until like 1 to 3 a.m on Sundays yeah even later oh my gosh I don't know how I did it because now I work until 10 p.m sometimes and I'm like I'm so tired I had such a long day and then I remember WSN 50 hours a week like actually 50 hours a week and that was like an easy week too yeah and like, and I had a, a part-time job at the same time. And I was doing four classes. Like, it was terrible. I mean, it was terrible for my mental health. I did love it, though. <laughs> but, um... Your grind. But, but it was so crazy. Was, the grind was necessary for survival. Because if I didn't have a part-time job, I wouldn't have been able to do WSN. Because it, it just didn't, like, pay enough. Like... Uh, I don't know. Should I say that? Because I don't want to discourage people from joining WSN. But, you know, student journalism I mean, doesn't student pay. Student newspapers in general, like, don't really pay their students. Yeah. It's just free labor until you go like up somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah until, until you actually, like, get a position somewhere else or until you burn out. Yeah, oh my gosh. Burning out, such a huge part of it. But yeah, WSN... Yeah, when I was editor-in-chief, I worked probably 50 hours a week, and I was there all the time. I basically, like, lived in that office. Um, <laughs> like, we worked on um, Sunday productions, which is the day before we print the actual physical newspaper. Um, we'd stay there until sometimes 4 a.m. Like, I remember the first... So, the management team sort of got into our groove the second semester that we were running the paper. And I remember we got out one day at like one o'clock in the morning and we were like, what are we supposed to do with the rest of our night? You know, <laughs> like we have sleep. <laughs> no. Right. But there were, there were definitely some days that I just didn't sleep. I remember there was one day we got out at like 7am cause we were doing a special issue, um, which is like a fancy issue that we did a few times a semester. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah. There I was remember- one. I remember no, being there for influentials and mm-hmm. Guru was like running around like people were just running around this basement office yeah. in the in at the bottom of like an NYU dormitory yeah at mm-hmm. like 3 a.m and I was like just sitting there with our heads cut off actually like, <laughs> like freaking <laughs> out yeah I was sitting there writing my art- article like freaking out and then there were like the design team was sitting next to me, like cutting out 
like pictures of people's heads for like hours. We just yeah. did that for hours. Oh my god, the design team, like insanely talented people, insanely talented people. But um, but yeah, influentials that night was crazy. That was I wrote that article about Jakia, and oh my gosh, that's also one of the favorite, one of my favorite pieces that I've ever worked on. Um, but. I was like, I was so lazy that week or not lazy. I think I was just burned out. Like I had a computer science project to do the same day. And then at night I came into WSN and I probably started writing my article at like midnight and I finished at like two slash three in the morning and I submitted it. And thankfully it was like decent enough to not need a thousand edits that we could like put it on the page like pretty soon. But it, it, that was that was a crazy night that was a 7 a.m kind of night it was i just remember you like shotgunning the article just like sitting there <laughs> i was just i had an office which i never used but i felt cool for having an office and i just sat in my office like i'm pretty sure my eyes were like taped open at that point because i was so drained and so tired but i just like banged out this article and and it turned out okay i was surprised that i read it the next day because i like completely forgot what i wrote and and it, it was okay. It wasn't that bad. It was um, good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, Jakia, amazing person. Um, yeah, I, I was so happy for that to be my last article for WSN because it just felt so like full circle. Um, but but yeah, so that's WSN. <laughs> we didn't even scratch the surface to be honest. Like yeah, yeah, there's so much I could say about WSN. Now you're finally at MVC, so I feel like you've made it. Oh my gosh, I'm still like an intern technically, so I don't know if I've made it, but like I've been able to work on some really cool stuff, and I really like the desk that I work at. Um, I write for a section called NBC Asian America, and uh, I don't know, they're all so cool, honestly. Like they 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 let me work on a lot of a lot of things that are just like thoughts in my head that I'm like, can I work on this? And they give me so much freedom. I'm, I'm so appreciative of like the work that I've gotten to do there. Um, but yeah, it, it's been cool. Honestly, I didn't expect to get that internship when I applied for it because it's, it's so competitive and the company is so big, obviously. But once I got it, I was so like the freedom that I got, I've never had that in an internship before. So it, it was really wonderful. What's your favorite part about it? I could say a lot. Like, honestly, I didn't even start writing about South Asians until probably, like, this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I started, like, really writing about South Asians when Kamala Harris was, like, running or she was on the ticket for VP. And a lot of people were talking about her in a lot of weird ways. And so that made me, like, even more interested in, in writing about South Asians. And then... I was able to do trend pieces about South Asians and like considering things that I've experienced in my own life and like talking to people who've experienced similar things and, and, you know, bringing light to things that people don't really talk about, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Which has been so cool. And I think my favorite part of the job has just been like meeting other cool South Asian people and like, cause interviews are so easy when you're talking to someone that's like in your community, you know? Or, like, community in yeah. quotes. Like, I kind of hate when people say, like, community to describe, like, a group of people sometimes, you know. Because yeah. um, it's so broad. Like, when people say the Asian community, I'm like, which one? Like, who are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, you know? like, which Asian community? <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, getting to talk to other South Asians, I think, is what I mean. 
and like relate to them. Those interviews for me are just like conversations. And I feel like I mm-hmm. sort of like bond with people like as I'm doing interviews and, you know, I build sources that I can go back to because like it's cathartic, I think, on both ends to be able to talk about some of these things. But this like internalized racism, the like trauma of like feeling different, feeling othered, um, being fetishized, that kind of thing. Um, so it's very it it that's my favorite part definitely is being able to to explore these topics that are like that for me even in my own life I've only just started to process. Yeah, I really loved your piece on body hair and like Thank you hair so removal. Much. Thank you. I, so I know much. you got a lot of like positive feedback about that yeah. from like people in your own community, but mm-hmm. like I think I also like related to like you know the struggle of like being too hairy Mm -hmm. like being seen as like weird yeah yeah Um, yeah I think I think a lot of people related and like when I when I released it I didn't expect for it to get as big of a response as it did but people really resonated with it and like the, the reason that I thought about that story I don't even know honestly it's because it's something that I've experienced when I was a kid like I was always super hairy like especially in middle school and elementary school like when you're when you're in an Indian or when you're a a child of color like going to school with mostly white kids like you will stand out and you will feel different and that feeling is not fun like you're not rewarded from for being different when you're 11 you know yeah and I, I I just like remember feeling horrible about myself a lot like I remember looking in the mirror and just like not liking what I saw and a lot of it was because of like overt things that people would say like about how hairy I was like my arm hair my eyebrows like my mustache whatever like people were mean about it and you know I I hear from like my family friends and and their kids oh my gosh it made me so sad when I released that article one of my close family friends reached out to me and she has a seven-year-old daughter and Mm -hmm. she was like she was like thank you so much for this article because my daughter like just asked the other day if she could come to the threading salon with me and get her legs waxed because the boys at school are making fun of her and I was like I was like oh my gosh like it 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 made me so sad and it reminded me so much of my own experiences like this stuff really sticks with you for a lifetime you know like when when you grow up and people comment on your body and like how you look and your hair and that kind of thing it's things that like stay in the back of your mind and influence how you feel about yourself. And oh my gosh, I just hope that this new generation of of Desi parents like really empowers their kids to to look beyond like what white people have set as a standard of beauty and, you know, and love themselves, you know, for all, for all their features cuz I feel like there is so much to, to break down and to deconstruct about about the beauty standard and like how racist it is. But but yeah, it, it made me so happy to see people like reaching out to me on Twitter and stuff and being like, this always felt like something to be ashamed of. And now it's like in an article, which is crazy. And oh my gosh, there's nothing better than that, honestly. Like that, that's definitely the high point of my career. 
not the high point yet. You still have a long way to go. I mean, so far, so far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so far, this has been a high point for sure. Do you feel like, you know, like writing about like your community and like the things that you face is like part of like a healing process for you? Um, or like, do you think there are like other things that's that have also helped you kind of like come into yourself as like a South Asian woman? Oh, uh, I love that question. So it's definitely it's definitely a healing process. And some of the inspiration for these articles comes from like things that I never would have thought of before, like, you know, these conversations about internalized racism and beauty and, and that kind of thing, which have been much more prominent recently, um, that spur me to think about like things that I haven't thought about for years and years, haven't deconstructed. Um, and talking to other South Asians about their experiences in this area too is definitely very, it's, it's definitely healing for me as well. But I think like whenever I'm writing my articles, I try to focus on something that can speak to like as broad of an audience as possible. But I'm also like, this is for you South Asians, you know, like it, <laughs> like for you to, for you to feel seen a little bit. Cause we don't feel seen a lot, especially when we're little and we feel invisible and, and we feel marginalized and othered and ugly and, and all those things. Um, it, it, yeah, it's definitely helped me heal. I'm trying to think of what other things I think coming to coming to college and meeting other people, like my hometown was pretty homogenous, even though like in the years after I moved, I think I said this in the years after I came to my hometown, a lot of like Asians started to move there, like South Asians, mm -hmm. um, especially so in high school, my, my community was definitely like other South Asian girls. But I think even amongst my community of friends in high school, who are all all Desi women, like we still were conditioned to see ourselves in a certain way compared to like, the white girls in, in our yeah. school. And not even just the white girls in our school, but the white girls that were being projected to us in media. Like, we, we so always, true. yeah, we always come, we always compared ourselves even if not explicitly, we, I just remember the way that I used to talk about myself in high school and the way that my friends used to talk about themselves. Like we were just not confident. And I think coming to college and meeting different types of people who, you know, were a little bit more, I don't know, who had, who had like become more comfortable with themselves, like women of color who had become more comfortable with themselves and like deconstructed things a little bit more than I had like talking to them made me feel like 10 times more beautiful and like, you know, just allowed me the space to, to see myself as, you know, not the same person that I was when I was 11. I don't know if that makes sense. Like the way that I yeah. saw myself when I was in middle school and high school is worlds away from what it is now. Like I remember probably sophomore year of high school was the first time that I looked in the mirror or like not even looked in the mirror but just like looked at myself like internally mm -hmm. externally whatever and was like I would not rather be any other person you know I wouldn't rather like look any different or like be any different like I wouldn't want to get plastic surgery like I I like who I am and that was a huge Oh my gosh. I feel like when you have that confidence, the world is your That's oyster. Powerful. Yeah, it's powerful. Yeah. Like and I I I want that for I want that for everyone. Like I want that for like all 
people of color who have had to feel that way, who have had to feel like ugly and like, you know, like they, like they don't like appreciate themselves or they would change themselves or whatever. Like it, when you have that confidence, it shows, it shows on the inside and outside, you know? Wow. That's, <laughs> that's such a, that's such a, like a sweet and like, you know, genuine goal. Like yeah, I, I really... <laughs> no, I mean, I, I hope so. And like, I want that for, like, I think about the kids that are in my life too. Like there, I like have a lot of family friends with kids that are pretty young um, and, you know, I, I used to work at a daycare and then like babysitting was probably like my primary job in high school and, and stuff, not even just the daycare, but I, I think I'm thinking of like the kids in my own life that are all like black and brown kids, right. That I like yeah. watch like people that I babysit or people that are like family friends, kids that I have some sort of like not responsibility for it like at all but but influence over because you know when when you're little when you're like 10 or whatever and somebody's a teenager or in their 20s I feel like you kind of look at them as like a friend or whatever so or like a big sister I think that's my role for a lot of the kids in my life and like and I just hope to like be somebody that is healthy for them to look up to you know and Mm -hmm. that's like I don't know that models confidence that shows them that just because they don't look like, I don't know, like the the people that they see on Instagram or the people that they see on TV or like on the runway or whatever, like doesn't mean that they can't be like confident in themselves. And it doesn't mean that they're not beautiful because beauty is, is such a small, limited um, concept. In, in the Western world and, and globally because of like colonization and globalization and that kind of thing. Um, but just cause the world like rewards skinny white women or even like people who are quote unquote racially ambiguous that, you know, are fetishized and like loved by the media or whatever. Um, and like TV and that kind of thing. Um, just cause they don't look like that doesn't mean that they're not beautiful in their own right. And doesn't mean that they can't look at themselves with confidence. And when I heard my family friend say that about her daughter wanting to get her hair removed and everything, I was like, wow, like, I, I don't know, like, I, it just, it really impacted me. And it made me realize, like, like, I need to, I need to tell the kids that I interact with that they're, that they're beautiful, you know, and that, like, empower them, like, empower your kids. That's what I would say to people. Because, you know, you don't want your kids to grow up and feel the same way about themselves that you did when you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely see that. Um, and I, I feel that for myself too. Cause like, I, I like don't want like the kids in my community, like the kids that I see like just around to like, mm-hmm. feel like they need to have that proximity to whiteness in order to have, like, have yeah. value for mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it's so it's so complicated and I think there are probably experts who could speak to it way better than I could um, about like how to talk to your kids about that kind of stuff and how to you know teach your kids that they're beautiful and that they should value themselves and how to teach them like how to value themselves internally and and be a confident person and not make themselves small for the world you know because um, mm. I think a lot of time growing up and just being a, a person of color like you feel like you need to make yourself small and you, you feel like you need to make yourself like everyone else. 
you feel like you need to apologize a lot and and be you know and be better than everybody else and you know i i think that i hope the next generation is, is raising their kids with with more confidence than that i mean it'll be our generation honestly yeah i hope our which is kind of crazy yeah yes yeah i hope our generation really like takes that into account when when raising their kids and raises confident young people teaches them how to stand up for themselves that kind of thing because i could have used some of that when i was little for sure yeah let's talk about the future then like okay where do you see yourself going after this do you want to continue doing journalism for your whole life um i don't know do you want to stay at mvc is this like (laughs) where you want to be um i love where i am right now i love the work that i'm able to do and the stories that i get to tell like i can't I can't imagine going on to live my life and not telling South Asian stories. Um, Cause that, that's just a part of me now. It's like always after this, like, I feel like I'm, that's always what I'm going to be driven to do. Um, yeah. As far as where I'm going to be, I don't know. I'm graduating from college. You know, I'm trying to, trying to get a job, trying to like finesse something. Ideally. Yeah. I want to be a writer. I want to, I want to stay in journalism. I, and, and just be a writer, I guess, for, for as long as it, as long as it pays to be one, even if it doesn't, honestly, like, not that I would take an unpaid job, but even if I wasn't getting paid to write, like, I'd still be at home, you know, writing, writing <laughs> um, something, writing something, writing grocery lists. No, just do, I would write stuff. I would write stuff. Um, but, but I, I, that's just what I love to do. And I, I think, when I, when I look at my future and I think like, what do I want to do? It's, it's just writing and telling stories and like highlighting people that wouldn't normally be highlighted and telling uncomfortably close and familiar stories, like, like about being hairy and things like that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Yeah. And just like, like doing any sort of good with, with, with my writing is is just yeah what I want to be doing how's your I'm just curious how does your mom and like your like close family feel about you being like a writer you like writing about these topics because I know like Mm -hmm. sometimes it's kind of like touchy to write about like you know stuff that's like not that beautiful yes yeah no I I definitely agree and I have had like controversial articles before where I don't know maybe my family hasn't necessarily loved it but it's my family honestly it I got so lucky because my family is incredibly supportive like my mom oh my gosh she works so much she like doesn't get a chance to read my articles really unless I like explicitly send them to her and and I'm like read this you know um which I did with the eyebrow story because I was really proud of that um but whenever she does read them, she's so sweet about it and posts it on Facebook and like sends it in the WhatsApp group and like tries to get everyone to to read it too. Um, but no, my mom is definitely like the biggest supporter of me and like anything that I try to do. And she always has told me, even growing up and being lower income and you know trying to make things work and being stressed about money and all that stuff, she always emphasized to us, even when it was probably like impractical to like follow our dreams and like do whatever we wanted you know Mm because like she just wants us to be happy me and my sister 
And I value that so much. Like, and I, I feel so lucky because I know that there are a lot of a lot of people who don't have that experience with their parents. But my mom is definitely very supportive. My family in India, they read my articles. I think they like my articles. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I honestly like, like, they always, they're always like, great job whenever my mom sends an article in the WhatsApp group. Mm-hmm. But I think like, I don't ever really talk about my journalism or my writing with my family. Like, I just... I, I don't know. Like I I'm we just have a very informal relationship that way, I guess. Like I, I never really talk about work with my mom. Like we talk about random stuff. Um, we like gossip together and like <laughs> you know. Um but yeah. There have been articles though. I remember when I was like sixteen, I did this thing for the Dallas Morning News, which is like my local paper in yeah. Dallas. And um it was actually an opinion article. And if I had to put a finger on like what drove me to pursue journalism, if I had to label it as one moment, it's probably this. So I was like shopping with my friends one time. And growing up, I had a lot of Muslim friends who wore hijabs and, and that kind of thing. And I was like out shopping with them one day. And I got one of my friends got like a frantic phone call or like message from her dad that was mm-hmm. like, that was like, stay inside, or like, get to your car and come home, like, because there are people with guns standing outside the mosque, like, like, oh, with, with, with signs, like threatening people and, and that kind of thing. And it was like, this has happened a few times, I'm pretty sure. Um, but this was, I forget, I think it was 2016, or 2015, or something like that. Um, but it was terrifying, like there were, there were like white men, like with guns just like standing outside mosques like protesting as like families were walking out with their little kids like people felt very unsafe and very threatened and and I remember how scared my my friends were around that time and and I wrote this article for the Dallas Morning News basically just saying for people to stop doing that because like Muslim families Mm -hmm. are are like not like they don't deserve that, you know, obviously nobody deserves that. So like, I wrote that article, was it my most well written article? No, definitely not. Um, Would I have changed some things if I was writing it as a 22 year old versus as like a 16 year old? Definitely. But I wrote that article. And oh my god, like, that was the first thing that I wrote that got just like insane backlash. The comment section had to be shut down. Because people oh, were giving, because really? people were giving me like death threats and what? Yes, and people were like calling me names, like calling me racist slurs, like just like being awful. And and so yeah, the comment section and they included my email at the end of the article. So I was getting nice. like I was getting like threats to my inbox and stuff. I was getting tons of emails and stuff. And my mom my mom was like, you should probably be careful, like going to school and stuff, just like go directly to school, like come home, like, be careful. And I was like, I was pretty scared. And I was really sad. And, and then I got over it eventually, because I was like, these people are just crazy. But, but yeah, it was it was pretty scary. Um, It's because nothing happened to you. I know. I mean, I was I was scared for a little bit. I think like a lot of people online are just trolls, to be honest. And like, like make empty threats and you know say a lot through their keyboards but you know are probably pretty like mousy in person but and some people aren't you know so that's scarier because like 
you never know what you're going to encounter. But thankfully, like, you know, nothing happened and everything was okay. But that was the first time that I really faced backlash for my writing. And it was also the first time that it was like, damn, like my words can have an impact more than just like, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. My words can have an impact, basically. And I think that that event just like made me want to write more about like marginalized or underrepresented groups. So so that was one situation where my family was like kind of scared for me and they were like, what are you doing? Like, be safe. But after that, like, I don't think any of my articles have been terribly received by my family or anything like that. There have definitely been family friends that are like, why are you criticizing white people in your articles so much? Like, you know, people, people who are a little bit, who are like Trump supporters or like Republicans who, you know, I don't know, who don't like what I do, like, ex- like extended circle though, like not, nobody close to me. Um, so I feel pretty lucky. All my family is very supportive. That's good. I, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I know um, everybody doesn't have that experience, you know, so I feel I feel pretty lucky. Do you have any advice for budding journalists or people who are looking to go into like a similar field as like people of color? The number one thing that I would say is have confidence and value yourself, even when it seems like everything and everyone is telling you not to. Like even when it seems like it's you're not in a position to, to feel overconfident about your work. If you're a journalist of color and, and you are really determined to make it like, I don't know, like you, I don't even know, honestly, like there are probably people who could say way better things about this than me. But my biggest thing that I, like if anybody who I've worked with before contacts me and is like, what should I like do? What is the biggest thing you would recommend for an interview or for, a cover letter or whatever, I would say, like, don't be afraid to just list your skills and say what you can do. Don't be afraid to sound pompous because you're probably not sounding pompous, you know? Like, we are all conditioned, like, people of color are all conditioned, like I said, to make ourselves small and to, like, and to, you know, sort of um, play down all the things that we've accomplished, all the things that we know and all the things we've experienced um, in order to seem like, like you know agreeable or you know marketable and and just like despite like fight everything you're feeling and and just be the most confident that you can be and you know that definitely that definitely helps I remember the first interview that I was like super nervous about I was like I'm just gonna write down a list of like all the skills that I have and just like use some point in the interview to just like read them off and say, I can do this, this, and this, and this, and that's why you should hire me. And I got the job, you know? Like, I think you just have to give yourself credit where credit is due, and don't be afraid to, like, don't be afraid to, like, shove it in people's faces a little bit. Be like, listen, like, I've done all this stuff, and, like, no offense, I've probably faced, like, a a lot more obstacles doing it than, than you all have. So, you know, like just love yourself, value yourself, recognize that what you're offering to the world is like, is so important and so needed. And we finish up every show with a Dear Asian Americans letter uh, to reflect the title of the show. Mm-hmm. So if you want to think about it as if you were writing a short letter to all of the listeners and to the larger Asian American Pacific Islander community, what 
message, advice, thought, insight would you want to share about your own personal journey to them? Don't feel like you need to fit anybody's mold. Like, stay strong. Obviously, like Asian Americans right now are going through a lot of messed up stuff, as has happened many times throughout history, consistently, you know. Um, Stay strong, lean on each other, talk to each other. I think like the biggest thing that I've learned from my career and like my life is just, if you talk to other people that are in your community or other people that look like you or other people who've had similar life experiences to you, you will feel so much better about everything. Like you will feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You'll feel a little less hopeless. Cause like I've definitely had my fair share of moments where I've felt pretty hopeless about everything. And, and the best thing that I would say is, is talk, is talk to people um, and be honest with people about like who you are and your experiences and, and don't feel like you need to cater to anyone or fit anybody's mold for who you are. You know, Asians are not a monolith. Like we're so different. Um, we're of different races, different backgrounds, different like socioeconomic statuses. And, and we're allowed to like, you know, show that and and not feel like we have to conform to anybody's certain description of what an Asian American is like growing up I never even thought that I was Asian because I think like Desi people South Asian people don't fit the Western vision for what an Asian looks like so I never grew up describing myself as Asian it's honestly only been like in recent years that I felt more connected to that um to that umbrella I guess to that label because of the community that I formed and the work that I've been able to do. And I've been so lucky to do that. Um, so I would say don't, don't feel like you need to be anybody else but yourself. Thank you so much. That was a really great conversation. I'm really glad that we got to catch up over this podcast. It was so great to talk to you, honestly, like this was wonderful. Where can people find you on the internet? Okay, so my Twitter is Sakshi underscore Saroja. And my Instagram is weird. I've been like debating changing my Instagram to make it more professional. But I just love my handle. And I've had it since seventh grade. So I kind of want to keep it. It's at umpapa one. It's just O O M P A P A one. Because <laughs> the original umpapa was taken. So I had to add a one. But anyway, so that's Instagram. Um, and then I have a website, which is crazy, sakshivenkachaman.com, and I coded it, which <laughs> is, like, also fun. Um, so you can find me there if you want to contact me or read any of my articles. They're all on there, or some of them are on there. Um, but, yeah, thanks for having me. This was this was a great conversation. I am so glad I got to pick your brain about all of these things. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad, too. Um, thank you to everyone that's listening. If you made it all the way to the end, this is Dear Asian Americans, and we'll see you next time.